بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد So in our last session we were the author had begun speaking about the the way to attain perfection for those people who have reached a high status so he mentioned the number of things that they did which one of them was that always remaining pure which is that always to remain on wudu and even trying even doing wudu before you go to sleep so that you sleep on purity because uh, in islam purity is half of faith and <clears throat> staying in purity means that that's a state that is a a purer state. It's a state closer to Allah because Allah is pure as well. Number two was not revealing one's uh, private parts, <clears throat> even when is when one is alone, as far as possible, uh, just out of shyness from Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala and the angels. Number three was revering one's elders, respecting, honoring. Uh, one's elders, anybody who's older in general, and having mercy and compassion upon the young, upon widows, upon upon the needy, and anybody else who who is vulnerable like that. In fact, all creation, he said. Number four, he says, Al-Adabu ma'a ahli al-ilm, khususan khadamatu sharia wa mashaykh al-tariq, fa'innahum warathatu al-anbiya. Now we discussed this one as well. Which is to have adab <coughs> with the people of knowledge, especially those who are serving the deen and the sharia in some way, and the mashaykh of the tariq, anybody who is in a good way uh, teaching people about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, about the sharia, about the deen, then all of this needs to be respected. فَإِنَّهُمْ وَرَثَةُ الْأَنْبِيَاءِ Because they are the inheritors of the prophets. Number five is أَنْ لَا يَزُورَ أَحَدًا مِنَ الصَّالِحِينَ مَا دَامَ تَحْتَ التَّرْبِيَةِ قَبْلَ الْكَمَالِ This one is a bit more of a delicate one. خَوْفًا مِنْ أَنْ يَرَى كَرَامَةً أَوْ خُلُقًا فِي أَحَدِهِمْ لَمْ يَرَهُ فِي شَيْخِهِ فَيَعْتَقِدْ فِي شَيْخِهِ النَّقْصَ فَيُحْرَمْ مَدَدُهُ What this is talking about is that not everybody is perfect. And if you have a shaykh and he can't be 100% perfect. He's going to have some weaknesses. He's going to have other strengths. Everybody's different. That's your shaykh though. Now, you, another shaykh comes in town, so you go and you sit there as well. So what you're going to notice is that that shaykh may have some other strengths. So you'll think, oh, my shaykh, he's, he's stronger than my shaykh in this particular aspect. He's a better speaker maybe. Uh, he looks more charismatic. He seems to do this better or that better. So what that's going to do is that's going to create deficiency in your mind about your own shaykh. And the thing is that when that happens, you, with a lot of people, they, they then hop between shaykhs. Because eventually what's going to happen is that there's going to be somebody else who's even better than that one in some aspect. Uh, remember, everybody has good and bad. Everybody has weaknesses. Everybody has their strengths. So sometimes we may be in a certain mood and we may notice certain strength and think, there you go, that's what I really need. 
So generally what the ulama say is that as long as your shaykh is a decent person uh, and you stick to him, Allah will give you the blessing of that. If you're just going to look for somebody who's charismatic or somebody who seems to have a greater following, there could be many reasons for a greater following. Greater following doesn't mean acceptance in the sight of Allah always. In some cases it does, but not always. Because some people are just more charismatic than others. They do things that attract people. But there's no substance sometimes, or there's not as much substance. So there could be many, many factors in the world. That's why he says that in the beginning of your path to Allah, when you're trying your hardest to get somewhere, especially at the beginning, he says he should not, uh, he should not visit any of the salihin as long as he's still under instruction uh, of his own shaykh before he reaches accomplishment out of fear that he may see some karama in this person or some other characteristic in any of them which he does not see in his own shaykh and then he would think that his shaykh is deficient and thus he would be, then be deprived of being able to benefit from him. Generally what they say is that this doesn't mean that you avoid. I mean, there's some, some Sufi tariqs are very, very strict on this. And they don't, the, 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 the instruction in there is that they should not go to anybody else if it's a Sufi talk. If it's got anything to do with tasawwuf, then you don't, you don't go there. You just stick with your shaykh. And others, they're not that strict about it. But they'll just re-emphasize that you don't get deluded and don't, don't just start getting mesmerized by every new thing that you see. Even if the person is a wonderful person, that doesn't make the difference. It's just that you've got one, let's just say somebody visits from another country, a big sheikh visits from another country, and you've got a local person already. Now the fact is that this big sheikh is internationally known, he may be. So you become attached to them. And you think he's bigger than my sheikh, so I should become. But then what's going to be your access to this individual? right? You're not going to have access to this individual. He's an international person. He's probably got so many different um, murids and students so for you to access that person is going to be difficult you won't be able to you know you may be able to see them once in a while when you're traveling or they travel so the main thing is that keep your focus on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for accomplishment because it all comes from Allah at the end of the day and a sheikh is just a valuable means so, next one, number six is وَمِنْهَا سُوءُ الظَّنْ بِنَفْسِهِ وَحُسْنُهُ بِغَيْرِهِ This is probably the antidote for so many problems in the world today based on arrogance and conceit and narcissism and things like that which is basically always to doubt yourself to have a bad opinion about yourself Bad opinion means be suspicious of yourself in terms of your, int your intentions because it's only by really looking at things with a critical eye that you can improve them. You know, you're obviously going to be constructively critical about yourself, not negatively critical. If somebody's negatively critical about themselves, then they're probably going to lead to despondency. That's not a good thing. So be very critical of oneself, but in a constructive way. And always have husnuddan with others. Always have a good opinion about others. A lot of people do the opposite. A lot of people do absolutely the opposite. They can do no wrong themselves. But everybody else, they will find the smallest issue with them. Especially when you travel, you'll find those that do that more than others. 
Not that we're trying to look for those kind of people. But that's when it comes about. Because especially when you're traveling, there's going to be lots of uncomfortable situations. Because you're in new territory. Everything doesn't always go to plan. And that's when a person's character comes out. Are they going to be critical? Are they going to just take it in their stride? Are they going to look at things positively? Are they going to give people the benefit of the doubt? That's very important. It's, it's really bad to be with somebody who just keeps complaining. Anyway. Eventually you should be that you just see everybody to be better than you. Not in a gullible sense. Like you genuinely believe that people could be much better than you. You see a person who's not as educated as you, not, doesn't know as much as you, but he's praying in the first line in the masjid and you're praying in the third line. Well, I would think that person is better than me, even though he probably knows less than I do. Because I don't have that tawfiq that he does. So there's always going to be something that you can find in somebody. Somebody may, may be more generous than I am. There could be so many different things. The whole point is don't be gullible, but always look at the positives. And to be honest, some people think that when you do that, then you're just setting yourself up to be deceived by somebody. But we're not saying to be gullible. We're just saying to have a good life and to not take tension on yourself. Not to just get too preoccupied with others. Because every negativity is bad for you. You know, even non-Muslims will tell you that. People who deal with therape therapies and so on, they tell you that the more negative you are, the worse you will be in terms of your health. So it's not a good thing anyway. <clears throat> then he says, number seven is, أَنْ لَا يَنْتَصِرَ لِنَفْسِهِ فِي أَمْرٍ Don't be defensive. Don't always be different. Don't keep defending yourself about everything. Just let things go. Number eight, he says, أَنْ يَرَى عِبَادَتَهُ دَائِمًا قَدْ دَخَلَهَا الْخَلَلُ مِنَ الْرِيَاءِ وَالْخَوَاتِرَ الْرَضِيَّةِ Always be suspicious of your worship. Always scrutinize your worship. Always. That some aspect or some kind of weakness has crept into your, into your worship. Your devotion has been overcome by some kind of defect. Like ostentation. You're doing it to show off. You're doing it to attract attention. You're doing it so that you can let people know something about you. Something positive about yourself. Or that when you're doing your worship, there's going to be evil thoughts coming in your mind. So always, that, that's the way to purify the worship. Because if, if we're too tolerant of mistakes or inconsistencies, for example, if Samsung were too tolerant of inconsistencies, they would never have been able to become such a proficient company in providing mobile phones. But because they can really be particular that no, it needs to be perfect in every sense and they can, can self-scrutinize. That's how you get better in everything. So we need to do that for ourselves as well. Especially our worship. وَمِثْلُهَا يَسْتَحِقُ عَلَيْهَا الْعِقَابِ لَوْلَا مُسَامَحَةُ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى لَهُ فَيَسْتَغْفِرْ مِنْ عِبَادَتِهِ وَمِنْ إِسْتِغْفَارِهِ So when we're doing worship, we, we're going to feel like, Alhamdulillah, Allah has given me the tawfiq to do this worship. I've accomplished something. But is the worship up to scratch? So that's why he's saying 
that if you do have if we do have some weaknesses in our worship the intention is not perfect the sincerity is not fully there there's something else that is causing uh, turning our attention and attracting our attention then he's saying that to be honest if Allah wants that could be entitled that could be worthy of punishment if it wasn't for Allah's pardoning because when we present worship to Allah it should be perfect sometimes when you prepare when prepare a gift for somebody who is very sensitive about about these things very uh, 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 a lot of self-dignity and so on self-respect and they don't like it they, they're not they're gonna they, they're not gonna accept it they're not gonna feel good about it Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the most perfect being there is why should he accept an incomplete worship from us so we need to be thinking that I'm giving him something incomplete which I could be punished for, to be honest. Instead of Allah saying, thank you for the worship, I should be punished for it, that you're giving Him something incomplete, the Lord of the worlds. The possessor of all perfection. We're giving something imperfect. That's why He says you should make istighfar for His worship. That, oh Allah, I seek your forgiveness for this type of worship. And then He should make istighfar for His istighfar, that even my istighfar isn't correct, because istighfar is also a worship. That, oh Allah, I seek your forgiveness even from my istighfar, that I'm not even sincere fully in my istighfar. Th these are not difficult things. They may sound difficult in theory, but they become an attitude and it becomes easy. <clears throat> Number nine, he says, is then is, أَنْ لَا يَتَكَلَّمْ بِكَلَامِ الْعَارِفِينَ مِنَ الْفَرْقِ وَالْجَمْعِ وَالْبَقَاءِ وَالْفَنَاءِ مَا لَمْ يَكْمُلْ I guess this is not going to happen inshallah with us because we don't really discuss those kind of things but generally when people get into some really heavy Sufi uh, tariqas there's a lot of terminology that goes with that like farq and jam and baqa and fana and so on so like with everything else right you want to use the lingo you want to you you want to fit in so you start using the terminology just like with everything else if you get into academia, <clears throat> you're going to have to start speaking and writing like that. Right? You're going to have to then treat the subjects. Then you would have read history at Oxford, as opposed to have studied it. Right? They say he read philosophy at Oxford. Right? Sounds a bit weird for normal people, like what do you mean by that? But that's the way to say it, to make sure that you sound like you're from there. Right? Anybody read history at Oxford? Huh? So... You start feeling like, so he says, avoid that. Until you're, you get somewhere, until you're accomplished, then you'll be able to use those terminologies properly. Otherwise, you're just going to use them to show something. It's going to lead to ostentation. In fact, he says, even for the accomplished individual, he shouldn't even use these terms. Unless there's an absolute need that demands that you use this term because there's no other term to use. He's got a very good point because it, you know when you start using this terminology that nobody else understands, then basically you start uh, feeling exclusive. right? Everybody has terminology. There's nothing wrong with terminology really. It really depends on why you're doing it. Like if you get into Tablighi Jamaat, then you're going to use stuff in like, you know, Uske Ahwal here. Right? Um, there's lots of words, you know, and uh, <coughs> gushed and you know, there's, there's words like that. 
there's nothing really wrong about that, but he's just saying be careful, especially in Tasawf, because it's a, it, ostentation comes about because of that. Right, number 10 he says is muhasabatun nafs. Constant introspection of the self. Ala martakabatu min al muharramat wal makruhat wa fudulil mubahat. So, of course, anything that it has perpetrated, the nafs has perpetrated of the absolute unlawful matters or undesirable, reprehensible matters or just excessive, permissible matters. So not every permissible thing needs to be done. So anything that's gone beyond what's actually useful, beneficial and needed, even of permissible matters, that should be avoided. وعلى ما وقع في نفسه من الخواطر النفسانية والشيطانية والاستغفار منها. Also to introspect the self about the various different uh, whisperings and notions and ideas, the shaytaniya ideas that come into the mind, and then to seek forgiveness from that. So essentially, we want to purify ourselves not just outwardly but also inwardly in terms of our thoughts in everything, just in general. Not just with relates to, uh, related to our worship, as he said earlier, and about our interaction and thoughts about others, but just generally, I don't want bad thoughts to come into my mind. Just, just in general. I want to be my mind to be a container of good. Only good things pass through my mind. The less, less exposure we have to wrong things, then that's, that's the way it's going to happen. Inshallah. Inshallah. Right, what is the difference between, he's then now explaining, because he mentioned khatir and nafsani was shaitani. A thought of the soul, or a whispering of the soul, or a whispering of the shaitan. What's the difference between a whispering of the soul, a nafs whisper, or a shaitani whisper? What's the difference? Well, clearly one is internal, and one is external, but beyond that, how do you tell the difference? He's saying the difference between those two, this is a very important clarification he makes, especially since we're coming into Ramadan. This, this really relates to Ramadan as well. The first one, which is khatir al-nafsani, the, 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 the one from the soul, is yakunu bi-ilhahin al-ma'siyati If the whispering is from the soul, it's going to be very persistent. Very, very persistent to make us do a sin or fulfill a desire. It's very persistent. It's almost like pathetically persistent. Just like a stubborn child that keeps crying, wailing, stubbornly persisting on its mother until she gives in and gives him what he wants. That kind of a child. That's what the nafs is like. So if we feel like something is telling us to sin or do something wrong fulfill an act of desire and we just can't avoid it it's, it's plaguing our mind it's there in prayer even when we're in sajda it's telling us it's reminding us of the of of the pleasures of these things then that is most likely going to be the nafs that's going to be a a whisper of the soul and that's more dangerous actually it is wajib it's necessary to eradicate that. How? The way you'll do that is to just constantly 
do dhikr wa bayani aqibati hadha al-amr and to have clarification by reading and listening about the consequence of such a deed tawajjuh ila shaykh and to basically have a focus on your shaykh so that somebody can supervise somebody can supervise in this regard that's basically the nafsani whisper and to be honest Ramadan is to help us deal with that one more than the other one because shaitan is locked up anyway that's why in Ramadan generally the sins that we continue to commit are those that are from the soul their addictions it's just like think about it like this those who smoked the first time you smoke why did you smoke most likely because somebody encouraged you to do so right most people have smoked first time round because somebody encouraged them to do so a friend some peers don't be chicken do it just have one and so on but when you become habituated do you, do you need anybody to encourage you or is it just the nafs that encourages you consider that to be a nafsani whisper to continue smoking is a nafsani whisper and the first the first few times that somebody told us smoke that was a shaitani whisper it's the same thing like that so likewise in ramadan you won't get any new shaitani whispers because shaitan is out of the picture in general you'll just get nafsani it's the, it's the addictions which we want to kick in but by the end of 30 days the whole idea of the 30 days is is that that's detoxified that we remove the thir- we, we remove that that nafsani whisper is also taken into consideration. So shaitan's already bound up. The nafs has to be trained with the in the absence of shaitan. So now he moves on to the second. He says that the shaitani whisper yakunu min ilhah. The shaitani whisper will not be persistent. It'll be an idea, right? And if you try to dismiss it by a'udhu billah or subhanallah or dhikr or remembrance of or salat, that will go. It's quite easy. Generally be a new idea as well. It won't be a, an addiction because that addiction idea is already from the nafs. Shaitan can also try to re-enkindle that as well. But ya'muru bil wa yuzayinuha. What shaitani whisper does is that it actually commands you to do a disobedience and it adorns it for you. Makes it look really beautiful and nice. فَإِن طَاوَعَهُ shakhs. If the person obeys the shaitan and does that thing, yeah, go and go out with your friends and they're going to go out to such a place, go, no, no, I can't go. No, I can't go. That's very wrong. I'm, I'm going to avoid it. I'm not going to go this time. Right? I'm not going to go. So, if you don't listen, if, you, if you've avoided it, it says, intaqala li akhar, then it'll give you another idea. It just wants to trap us somehow or the other. It just keeps on giving us new ideas. Unless we continue dhikr. That's why he's saying, لِأَنَّ قَصْدَهُ الْغِوَايَ عَلَىٰ أَيِّ حَالَةٍ تَكُونَ He just wants to mislead and cause deviance in whatever way it is. He doesn't care what sin you do. If he can't make us do a hard sin, a complicated sin, a severe sin, he's going to make us do something lighter. So if he can't make us go out and we're going to pray instead, and he can't make us avoid etikaf, avoid going for hajj, then he's going to say, show off in your etikaf. Or do something else wrong in your etikaf, or in your hajj for that matter. So he's going to just try to get us in somewhere that he's just there to try to bowl us over.
He doesn't care about any particular sin. The nafs is going to be like, no, I want that sweet. So now also you, we, we've got the shaitani whisper and the nafsani whisper, but you've also got the lordly whisper of the Lord of Allah. And you've also got a whisper from the angel. What is that to do? So that's Al Khatir Al Rabbani and Al Khatir Al Malaki. That's the angelic whisper. So he's saying, Anna al awwal, the first one, is ma fihi tanbihun al khayr min ghayri hath, wala yu'wi yu'addi ila hayratin. The one which is from Allah is going to be generally a notion, an idea, an encouragement in general. Uh, no, it's going to be just the notion of doing good without too much encouragement. An idea pops into your mind, you know, I should donate. I should attend the majlis. I should go for Hajj, I should go for Umrah, I should do this extra this Ramadan. I want this Ramadan to be better than the previous Ramadan. These are ideas, but there's not going to be a massive encouragement. These are fleeting ideas that come through your mind. Number two, the one from the angel, uh, is the, the good angel obviously, is where there's encouragement towards something. When you feel a very strong impetus to do something, something good. You really feel like I want to do this. No, I should donate here. I should go for Hajj this year. As long as the idea of going for Hajj is not to show off each other, then that can't be angelic. Then he talks about number 11. He says, Madhu a'da'ihi. Praising one's enemies. Praising one's enemies. That'll make you feel a bit less depressed, wouldn't it? If you think you have so many enemies and you're scared of them. To praise your enemy, it doesn't that give you, doesn't that empower you? Right. Again, it doesn't mean you have to be gullible. It doesn't mean you have to let them walk over you. But it's just saying that de- take the bite out. Take the animosity out. And don't feel repulsed by mention, uh, when having to mention them. Unless, unless there's a tarbiyah there, unless you're doing it for a particular reason, it's different. What dua ilahum bil maqfirati wa tawfiq, and making dua for them for their forgiveness, and for divine enablement for them to do good and not be bad. That's better than asking for destruction because you don't know when they're going to be destroyed, if they're going to be destroyed, but they're going to bother you forever. They're going to bother you as long as they last. But if we make dua that they be rectified and reformed then that's wonderful. That's one extra great person in the world. That's one evil gone. It's just the way we think sometimes, isn't it? And likewise, the dua for all disobedient believers, just in general, because the more obedient believers there are, the better it is for everybody in the whole world. So we're doing a favor, not just to ourselves, but for everybody by making dua for disobedient people. Rather than keep cursing them and talking bad about them. It's all attitude. It's all about attitude. He's got one main point left afterwards. And then he has his final dua. So inshallah we'll do that the next time and finish this off. Inshallah. So we ask Allah for tawfiq uh, for this month of Ramadan and for the rest of our life as well.